Well, good morning. I'm Kotz. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are in the middle of a series called Church, no, Center Set Church, not Church Center Set, Center, Centered Set Church. And uh, the series is basically us hitting the reset button and saying, hey, let's find out what Jesus intended the church to look like. And is there anything that we could change at this church? We're not here to point fingers at other churches. We're just pointing our fingers at ourselves saying, what can we, what, what kind of adjustments can we make? And what we've discovered over the past few weeks is that, you know, the church, it's not just something that we can start doing because then we're just acting, we're just pretending. We have to go deeper and understand why we have to start behaving differently. So for the past few weeks, we've been comparing two models of church. The first model is called a temple model. The temple model, as I would, um, by the way, you're not going to find the word temple model in the Bible. This is a word that I'm using. So um, it's a sacred place. So church is like a place uh, where sacred men, it's usually men, interpret sacred texts, which draw sacred lines to determine who is in and who is out. And this is the model that Jesus was purposely trying to push out of religion. He's like, guys, this is so destructive. But if I were to take this definition and took it to the streets and said, hey, and I just covered the top word here, said, hey, so what would you call a sacred place who's usually run by sacred men that interpret sacred texts that draws lines to say who's in and who's out? They'll say, oh yeah, the church. And I would probably break Jesus' heart so much because he worked so hard to make sure that the church doesn't end up as this. But it has. And over the, and we, ta- we one Sunday, we just focused on church history and looked at how and when did it change, right? And usually it's like there's something wrong, so they overcorrect it. And these overcorrectings over the years became what it is today, the temple model. And this is not what church is meant to be. Instead... What Jesus intended the church to be, I call it the Jesus model, which is an open invitation from God for all humanity. Notice it's not a place. Church is not a building. It's an invitation to all humanity to participate in a community, people, that is based on the single command, which is to love others. And we ask, you know, and for the past few weeks, we said, if there's one way, one question we could ask ourselves just to make sure that we're always on track, the question has always been, what does love require of me? So today, we're going to be looking at this question. What does the Jesus model church look like? So for the past few weeks, we've been talking about like you know theology, and you're like, come on, get to the application. Today, we're going to actually talk about what that looks like. And spoiler alert, for the past few weeks, we've been saying, hey, this sermon series is called Center Set Church, and I have never talked about the Center Set Church this whole series. The answer to this question is Center Set Church, okay? So just so you guys know, if you've been wondering what that is, we're talking about it today, finally. So before we answer this question of what does a Jesus model church look like, I have to introduce you to another theory called set theory. Set theory. Now you're like, oh gosh, like I didn't wake up in the morning to learn theories, Cots. Oh, okay. I have diagrams for you guys. It's going to be easy for you to understand. Okay. So first, let's start with something called the bounded set. Most of you will probably be familiar with the bounded set. Let the white dots on the screen represent people, okay? So bounded, okay, so before I talk about what the bounded set is, um, I want to be clear with you, bounded set is not a bad thing. It is not evil. Bounded set basically means boundaries. Boundaries are a healthy thing to have, okay? We're talking about in a specific setting, which is the church, bounded set can be harmful. Okay, so let me give you an example of what that looks like. So let's just say these are all the people. A bounded set, next slide, is basically drawing a line and whoever's inside the line are the people who are in 
and the people who are on the outside of the line are out. That's what bounded set means, right? And usually these lines are agreed upon lines. So like you could say, hey, whoever follows a set of rules are in the circle, in the, on the inside of the lines. People who don't follow these rules are on the outside. Or you could say if people vote a certain way, then you're inside the circle. If you didn't vote a certain way, you know, if, if your views on the LGBT stuff follows the way that we think we should think about it, then you're in the line. If you don't, you're on the outside of the line, right? If you dress a certain way, so let's talk about church specifically. If you come to church in a suit and a tie, in some, not this church, I mean, look at me, right? But if you do, you're in. But if you come in shorts and flip-flops, you're out, right? So um, sometimes the rules are clearly like out there. It's like, hey, everybody knows these are the rules. Sometimes it's not so clear. It's like a code. We, we all kind of know about it, but no one talks about it, right? Um, for some of you, it's, it's probably your, your past. If you've done X, Y, and Z in the past, you're on the outside, right? If you had a divorce, then you're on this side of the line. If you had an abortion, you're on this side of the line. If you voted a certain way, you're on this side. If you, you know, if you smoke, you're on this side of the line. If you use bad language, you're on this side, right? Whatever the line is, that's bounded set. And this is probably the version of church that you're familiar with, right? Whether if you're, you've been on the inside of the line or the outside, you know, your, your experience may vary. Um, in some cases, if you've been baptized, you're on the inside. Sometimes, it, most times, it's like the people on the inside are the people who are believers, and the people on the outside are people who are non-believers. Like, you don't believe that Jesus rose and, died and rose on, the, rose on the third day? You're on the outside, man, right? We have names for people like that, you know, the unchurched, the unbelievers, right? Or even within the people, if everybody's a believer, you have like, you draw a line saying, these are the people who are committed Christians, and these are the people who are et cetera Christians, et cetera meaning Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. They only show up on those three days of the week, of the year, right? Um, the people who memorize verses, like when they talk, they talk in Christianese. They use words like blessed, right? They use like, instead of saying, let's go hang out, they use words like, let's fellowship, because that's, you know, holier, right? Right. Those people are inside the circle. People who use words like, yo, let's, let's hang out, like, oh, those are the outside people, right? So you're getting the idea of what a bounded set church is, right? A bounded set church is, and this is my working definition, lines that were meant to establish clarity, identity, and protection, Right? These lines weren't there because they're like, let's be mean to the world, let's keep everybody out. Keep, right? They were originally established so that we could have clarity, like, hey, we are for this, we're against this. Let's draw a line. Right? Not a bad thing. Right? Let's have an identity. This is who we are, this is who we are not. Let's draw a line right there. Right? Protection. You know, our kids need to be safe, so we don't want to keep, let those type of people into the church. Right? These are good lines to have. But it has become lines of judgment and exclusion. We use these lines now to look at the world and say, hey, we're better than them. Look at them. I feel bad for them because they're not like us. It, it makes us feel elite. makes us feel like, you know, we have the upper hand. We have the right to judge the world because we're on the inside, guys, because we use Christian words. You know, I don't know <laughs> whatever those lines are. So there are pros and cons to, to bounded set. Okay, now, in case I've lost you already and you're like, Cots, you know, I, I, I don't care. I don't Maybe if you're into sports, you'll care now. Okay, so here, let's use baseball <laughs> as a way to talk about what the bounded set is, okay? In baseball, bounded set is a good thing. Okay, so for example, my son, uh, right now the season's off, but usually he's part of Little League, and that's a bounded set, set uh, organization. So I'll give you an example. For somebody to play on the field on the given day, you have to go through tryouts, so it's not open to everybody. 
people who have to go through tryouts. And when they make the team, you have to pay a fee. You have, so everybody who's playing is paying a fee. You have to have a uniform. You have to have certain levels of skill because you actually try it out. And if you weren't good enough, you probably won't make a team. Or if you do, they make, put you in a team that has a stronger player so it evens everything out. We need a proof of residency. So we have to have a sheet of paper that proves that we lived in the area, right? You had to fall in a certain age range. So my son, uh, last season, he was in the 9 to 11-year-old, was it? I don't know, right? In that range, somewhere around there. And they play by specific rule of baseball. For example, in that age range, you're not allowed to steal bases. So if you want to be on the inside of the circle, you have to play by their rules. Right? So are you understanding bounded set? It's not a bad thing. It's just that when it's applied to certain things that are not meant to be applied to, then that's when it gets pretty bad. Okay, so I would say, hey, guys, we're going to have a game this coming Sunday. It's going to be at this park. It's Little League. And automatically you think, oh, I'm in or I'm out. Right? Oh, I don't belong. You know, I'm a little too old to be playing in a 9 to 11-year-old league. A little. Right? So I'm not going to go out there with a bat and a glove and show all the kids how great of a baseball player I am. I'm not going to do that, right? Because there are certain rules, and if I did that, I would get kicked out because I don't fit the description of the people who belong on the inside. Now, when this idea is applied to church, this is when it gets really messy. Or I guess it makes it clear, but it also makes it unhealthy. So let me take a look. I'll show you the diagram again. Here's like the bounded set, right? There's the line right here. And usually like the way you dress, the words you use, the topics of conversation that you have, right? This is the bounded set. Now I'll give you an example of how this applies to me. When I started going to church in 1997-ish, okay, I don't know, last century, um, I was, <laughs> yeah, some of you still think that the 90s were like 10 years ago. It's like, no, it's not. <laughs> Okay. okay, but I lived according to the bounded set. The first day I arrived at church, I remember I was sitting in the pew, not this church, another church out there, and I was sitting there, and I'm like, okay, everybody's standing. I should stand too because I wanted to behave like everybody else because I wanted to be within the bounds of the bounded set, right? And then they would pick up a hymn, and they'll start singing, and I don't know how to read music. I just see lyrics, and I see all these black dots on five lines, and I'm like, okay, so everybody here knows the melody except for me, so I'll just... Sing it like I know what I'm singing. I don't want to look like I fit in because I don't want to f stick out because I might not be in the bounded area, right? And after that, everybody sits like, oh, I guess we're sitting. Oh, we're praying. We're closing our eyes. How do we? Oh, we, we put our hands down and we pray? Okay. And now it's time to sing other songs. Oh, wait, some people are raising their hands. I should do the same. I was trying my best to fit in the mold because I didn't want to be outside the line. I want to be in, okay? A few years later, I'm part of the system now, right? And as I'm teaching Sunday school and I'm like, you know, leading youth or whatever, I start seeing people within the church that don't really quite fit the mold that I was taught I was supposed to fit into, right? So I would see people who would miss Sunday morning because they're playing basketball or something. I would be like, wait a minute, they think basketball is more important than Jesus, the savior of the world? Oh my gosh, they are the, the, the et cetera Christians, because I'm, you know, I'm true Christian. You know, so I'm playing into the system now too, right? If somebody comes to church dressed a certain way, or if I look at, you know, like a certain behavior, and, and I'm like, hey, that doesn't seem like behavior that belongs in the church, I'm drawing lines. But after a while, what happens is the, the, the characteristics of fitting within the bounds of the bounded set church becomes over-idealized. In a way, if you want to be part of the church, you have to have no problems in your life. You have to be perfect. 
everybody has to think that you're praying all the time, that you never get in fights with other people, and every word that comes out of your lips are, are pure and holy, <laughs> you know, right? Like, I have to pretend like I'm sinless. Like, I have to act like I'm Jesus. And then I thought, oh my goodness, I would never want to be a pastor because a pastor has even higher standards that he has to fit into. And here I am, a pastor. <laughs> so do you guys understand the bounded set? Here are some of the dangers of the bounded set. I'm going to just go over four of them. There might be more. I only know four of them. And um, maybe you could relate to some of them. First problem is this, shame. If you have committed a sin that is outside the bounds, because you know, there are certain sins that are not allowed in the lines, you know, but if you're like, hey guys, you know, I lied the other day, they're like, oh, that still belongs inside the lines of the church, right? But if you were to say, hey, you know, I, uh, uh, I use drugs, it's like, oh, that sin is actually outside the lines, so you're not allowed in the church. Or they won't even say you're not allowed in the church, but you'll be treated in a way where you feel like maybe I don't belong here anymore, right? So there's shame attached to this. Maybe there's something that happened to you, maybe a long time ago, maybe like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you made a bad decision. And that decision still follows you to, to this day. And so you don't feel like you belong because you're outside the bounded lines. It's like, oh, uh, I don't know if, if I belong here. There's a shame that comes with the bounded set. The second danger of the system is exclusion. Sometimes the exclusion is on purpose. We made it clear that you're not allowed to do this and you did it, you're out. That's outside the lines. And by the way, the people who decide which sins are actually outside and which lines, sins are inside, right? It's, it usually fits their struggles. Like, it's like, hey, you know, I don't struggle with this, so I think everybody shouldn't struggle with this, you know? And it's, it's weird. But some other times, these, these, these lines are subtle and they're not even spoken of. It's subconscious sometimes, right? And other times, they're self-imposed. I was talking to somebody who stopped going to church a long time ago, and I said, why aren't you, I haven't seen you in a while. And they're like, well, I did this thing the other day, and I feel like I don't belong in the church anymore. It's like, says who? Like, I just assumed. I'm like, well, then maybe that's our fault, because we led you to believe that people like you don't belong here, which is the exact opposite. Jesus wants you to be a part of a community so that we could work those things out and maybe even help each other with those things. Um, and, you know, I've given you some bad examples of, like, sins, but sometimes they're not even sins. Sometimes it's just a cultural thing. I've been in a church once um, during a sabbatical. I went to a church and they were praying in tongues. And I said, whoa. And if you don't know what tongues are, it's when people speak a spiritual language, which I don't have that gift. But I remember being there and I had a few questions. I'm like, hey, so can you tell me more about this? And they, the person's like, oh, you just wouldn't understand cuts. And all of a sudden I felt like, oh, there's a line. There's a line. I'm not spiritual enough for this church. Third danger of the bounded set, you're afraid to express authenticity. As long as I behave a certain way, I'm inside the lines, right? But what if there's a part of me that doesn't fit into that? I can't express that part of myself to you. And as long as I'm like that, I could never be fully myself hey guys, I struggle with this sin. Oh no, I can't say that to you because if I do, I'm outside the lines. So you're always hiding a part of yourself you feel like is not appropriate. So you could never be fully loved because if you want somebody to love you, you want to, they want, you want to be loved for who you are, but you could never be yourself fully because you have to hide that part of yourself. And that's unhealthy. And finally, the fourth thing here is God's grace is never enough. You're like, hey, you know, I follow Jesus and he told me 
And the Bible tells me that he loves me for who I am. I'm not perfect, but he loves me for who I am. But for some reason, when it comes to church, who's supposed to be a representation of Jesus, I feel like I have to do stuff, act a certain way in order to be accepted. And that seems inconsistent. I feel like God's grace is sufficient for my relationship with God, but God's grace is not enough for me to be accepted into the body that he rep- that's supposed to represent him. So the bounded set, and the way that I remember this, in case you're like, I can't remember that word. I just think about like bounded set, which is BS. I'm sorry, as a pastor, not allowed to say that. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> you see? Okay. So... Now, if you've been on the receiving end of this, right, and you're like, oh gosh, I, you know, I felt this exclusion before. I felt the shame before. I felt like I had to pretend to live a certain way when I'm at church. Then you're probably thinking, ah, cuts, I know what the problem is. I know how to fix this. The temptation of those who have experienced the dangers of bounded set is to assume that the problem is what? The lines that we draw. So you know what we should do? Pull out a rag and start scrubbing it off, right? That's, erase all the lines. Let's get rid of the lines, right? But there's actually problems with that also. So that version of Christianity, church, where we erase the line is called the fuzzy set. The fuzzy set is basically this. Hey, you know what the problem is? Lines. So what should we do? Next slide. Let's erase the lines. And if we erase the lines, the people on the inside, people outside, there's no such thing. Everybody's included now, Right? There's no more judgment, right, Cots? Well, let's define the fuzzy set. Remove lines because lines cause unnecessary judgment. That's, that's good, right? And there are pros and cons to this. Pros. All are in. No more outsiders. Yay, problem solved. It's very, very inclusive. But it also comes with a bunch of cons, a lot of bad, like dangerous things to this. For example, when you have a, a community that's set on just complete openness, there's no identity, right? Remember, lines were drawn to know what you are and what you're not? Well, now that's gone, right? Um, protection. You felt like you had a safe space here because you know, when I'm here with people who are like me, I feel like I could share my heart and you know, I won't be judged. I don't know, maybe you will, if it's within the lines. But now, the lines are gone. You know, would I really share who I am and who I want to be with somebody that I feel unsafe with, right? There's, there's a lot of cons. Like, there's, you're, you're trading one problem for another. So let's put this to the baseball analogy. The baseball analogy for the fuzzy set. Everyone can play, fully inclusive. Everybody's invited. I'm going to say, hey, everybody, we're going to play baseball at the field after service. I'll see you guys there, and everybody shows up. And unlike Little League, you don't have to have a uniform, there's no tryouts, there's no fees, there's no form that you need to fill out to prove that you're a resident of the area, right? But here's the thing, there's also no age restriction. So I'm gonna go play against a five-year-old and I'm gonna show him who's boss, right? <laughs> Is that the best you could do? Bam, right? Like, <laughs> as a matter of fact, there's no rules at all, right? So you show up at the field and you're getting ready to bat and the ball clearly goes outside and everybody feels like, oh, that's a strike. And I look to the umpire, the umpire's not there because there's no rules. There's no organization. As a matter of fact, we'd be lucky for playing baseball because while I'm trying to bat, somebody tackles me and says, this is football, y'all, right? And I'm like, wait a minute, who said this is football, <laughs> right? But, and all of a sudden during the game, we see a Frisbee fly through and it's like, it's ultimate Frisbee time. There's no identity, right? There's no rules, there's no, it, it, when everybody's agreeing to a certain moral standard, then I think it's okay, right? But then that's, that's not what fuzzy set is. There's no lines, 
So it's not really baseball anymore. All of a sudden, they're playing soccer on a baseball field, and I'm like, hey, I'm trying to play my game, and they're like, well, we're playing to play our game. Well, we reserved this, and he's like, no, you didn't. This is fuzzy set. Nobody reserves anything. There's no order. So the dangers of fuzzy set, and I think it's pretty obvious. Number one, you lose identity markers, right? Lines give us identity markers because it tells us who we are not. And because we know who we're not, we know who we are. And the second thing is that it lacks direction. An organization with fuzzy lines, mean, or like non-existent or just really faded lines, you're not really going anywhere, right? If this is applied to a church, we could come here and you know I'll probably talk about Jesus because that's just my obsession, right? But then, like, you don't have to be listening to me, <laughs> right? Instead of playing songs, you're like, oh, I want, you know, like I think the worship team should rap sometimes, you know, right? And it's like, but most people can't follow the worship leader when they rap. Like, it doesn't matter because we're doing whatever we want. Fuzzy set, it lacks direction, and finally, you become eventually become a bounded set. And this is an interesting thought here. Okay, so what do people who were hurt by lines, who erase them eventually, and it's like, yes, we're free, who do they judge? They judge people who have lines, right? You look at people like, look at that church, man. They have so many rules. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not welcome here because we don't want you to bring those rules over here. And now you are also bounded because you're drawing lines between you and them. So it's basically the same thing. Eventually, it gets to the same thing. You're drawing lines against the line drawers. I know, is that confusing? Yeah, probably is. Here's, okay, so all this, I, all this stuff that I've been talking to you about, it's not something I made up in my brain, by the way. It sounds like it sometimes, but it's not. Some smarter people than me have done the research, and I'm just regurgitating what they told me, okay? One of them is Dr. Mark Baker, and this is what he said. Because both the fuzzy set and the bounded set were built on the foundation of line drawing, they had similar characteristics, and he lists some of those characteristics. Let's see. Gracelessness, because it's not about relationship. It's about following a certain code, right? I know you're my best friend, but you know, you did some things you're not supposed to, so you're out. There's lack of grace there. Conditional acceptance. If you act a certain way, behave a certain way, then you're in. If not, you're out. Fear, you know, you draw lines to make sure that you're protected. Lack of transparency, because if you were to be authentic with the people around you, they might cast you outside the lines, right? Lack of empathy, self-righteousness, and shallow ethical change. You rarely see change in the lives of the people in these systems because, well, if there, you do see change, a lot of times it's, it's superficial because you want to act a certain way in order to be accepted by the people around you. Now, let me tell you a story about myself and how this hit me really hard, okay? So when I was in seminary, meaning I was studying to be a pastor, um, the professor drew this graph. And he said, you know, when you, the, from the day you become a Christian to the day that you, know, that you are now, you probably thought that your graph of maturity was going from the bottom left to the top right like this. Like you're just maturing and maturing and maturing, right? And then he listed these things. Like some of you, next list, oh, here we go. You start off with legalism. That's where I started. Like, oh, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, right? You miss the heart of the, the scriptures. You just focus on the to-do list on the Bible, right? And so eventually you, you say like, no, no, that's not what it, this is about. Like, this is about the love of Christ, right? We don't have to follow the 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. He calls us to love one another. And so you discover freedom. And you're in this place of freedom and you're like, wow, this is great. Like, this is what, it's like, Jesus, is this what Christianity is? I've been missing out this whole time. I've been busy following your rules. Ah, this is true Christianity. 
But the problem is, once I get there, I look back at the people who are so legalistic, and I judge them. I used to be where you were, so sad, right? But then eventually from there, I learned that, you know what? I don't have to bombard my life with all this stuff. Jesus said that his yoke is light, so you end up living this simplistic lifestyle. You know, it's about just resting in the Lord, peace. You know, And by the way, I'm mocking this, but I don't mean to mock you, okay? Because you might be somewhere on this list. I'm just telling you about my journey, okay? And eventually after that, you look around and you realize, but you know what? I'm enjoying life with Jesus, but the people around me don't seem to be enjoying it as much because there's oppression. So you start finding something called social justice, and you're like, Jesus, this is Christianity, right? Because, you know, I feel bad for the people who are still stuck in the legalistic level or maybe the freedom level, but I'm down here at the, at the deeper parts of Christianity, justice. You know, we need to do something about the, the brokenness of this world. Right? And by the way, everything I'm listing here is a part of Christianity. Okay, I'm not saying that some things are not, but I'm like, this is it. So I feel like I'm maturing on this graph, getting a better, becoming a better Christian. But once you realize that you can't fix the world on your own, you're like, oh man, I need some supernatural power to help me do this. Then you find this new version of Christianity called the hyper-spirituality Christianity. You're like, I'm going to start praying in a way where God will make things happen that God will fix the things, and I'm going to give him all the praise, right? And this is a good thing. So I went through this whole phase, but every step of the way, I looked at the previous steps and said, I feel bad for the people who are still stuck back there. Meaning, I wasn't really maturing in my faith. I was learning new things about my faith and drawing different lines around it. Before, the line was here, but now that I discovered freedom, I'm going to draw the line here, and whoever's outside of that line, I feel bad for them. Judgment still existed. It's just that my version of Christianity changed. I was just drawing new lines. I was still living like the bounded set model. So we're going back to the question that we started with this with. So what does the Jesus model church look like? What is it supposed to look like? Where do we draw the lines? Are we not supposed to draw lines? What are we supposed to do? Wait, like there's, there's bounded set, there's fuzzy set. What am I supposed to do, right? Now, before I give you the answer to this, I want to go over a passage with you. Because in this passage, uh, Paul the Apostle, he reveals the answer. But before we talk about Paul, I want to talk about this guy named Peter. Because Paul is talking about Peter in this passage. Okay. Peter, if you don't know Peter, he was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. Okay. And he traveled with Jesus for three years. And throughout the three years, Jesus was teaching him, like, Peter, this is what you got to do. Okay. You are a Jew. You need to break down that wall. You're going to have to hang out with people who are not like you. Peter's like, got it, Jesus, right? But after Jesus died and rose again, he couldn't get himself to hang out with people who were not like him. It was like, several, it was like almost a decade before he actually stepped foot into the house with somebody who was not a Jew. And so he's, he's like on the roof of his house, of this house in a place called Joppa, and he's praying, and all of a sudden he sees this vision. And to make a long story short, and a very awkward story, very simple, um, the vision basically said, Peter, the people that you're avoiding are not unclean. I made them clean. It's like, don't think that you have cooties when you hang out with these people. So he gets the courage to go to a place, a person's house, who's a Gentile house, his name is Cornelius. He walks in and he sees the spirit displaying, like this is like this is God's way of saying this is what I want for humanity. He eats with them, which is like a big, big deal. In that culture, eating was eating together was like the most intimate way of showing the world that you are now in in um, union with that person. So if I were hanging out with, 
with um, another person and I was eating with them in that culture, they would think, oh, cousin that person, he wants to be associated with that person. So Peter, eating with Cornelius was a huge deal. And after he saw the success of that, you know, him eating with Cornelius, he thought, I need to spread this to all the churches. So he starts doing this in other churches, and there's one church that he landed on, right, in a place called Galatia, and he basically starts sharing food with them, and they're eating all together, the people in the church, Gentile and Jew, together, eating together, until one day, Peter says, I'm not going to eat at this table anymore, I'm going to go eat at the Jewish table. And Paul has a huge issue with this. Paul and the other apostles, they meet in this one place, and the first thing Paul does is not, hey, how's it going, Peter? Give me an update what's going on. His first thing is, I heard what you did. I heard that you actually stopped eating with the Gentiles. We need to have a talk. And this is Paul telling his church about what happened, that, what that interaction looked like. This is like exciting to me. Okay, here we go. When Cephas, that's, that's a nickname for Peter, when Cephas, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him in his face because he stood condemned. It's not like, hey, Pete, it's been a while. It's like, no, 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 I have a bone to pick with you. Like, when's the standard hello? No, no, this is so important. I need to talk about it now. Private room? No, right here, right now. For before certain men, we'll come back to that, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Peter, you used to hang out with people who are not like you. You're a Jew, they're Gentiles, you used to hang out with them. But then a few people came into your church and all of a sudden you stopped doing it. If you're having a hard time imagining this, imagine junior high lunch tables. Cool table, uncool table, cool kid goes and sits with the the uncool kids and then some people come into the school and he stops hanging out with them, he goes back to the cool table. I experienced that, I was, you know, I don't have any scars from that at all, okay. (laughs) But basically, Peter has a reputation. Peter hung out with Jesus. This whole movement is based upon this guy named Jesus. And he's like, Peter knows what he's doing. So when people see Peter hanging out with the Gentiles, people are like, that's what we're supposed to do. When they see Peter hanging out with only the Jews, people are like, maybe we should be hanging out with only the Jews. That's what's happening. Let's keep going. But when they, these people, arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belong to the circumcision group. The cool kids apparently are called the circumcision group in this story. (laughs) Circumcision group, let me explain. These guys are people who are followers of Jesus, but they say that we need to live according to the Jewish customs. Right? So when these people, the people of the circumcision, show up, Peter's like, oh, yeah, these aren't my friends. My friends are the people over here at the Jewish table. Yeah, of course. Look, look at me being kosher. Right? And Paul is like, how dare you do that? And Peter's like, what's the big deal? I'm just changing tables. Right? Well, here's the big deal. Let's keep, keep reading what happens. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means wearing a mask. So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Paul traveled with Barnabas. Like, my good friend Barney is doing the wrong thing now because of you, man. Like, do you realize how much an influence you have? By switching tables, you're changing the entire DNA of the church. Right? Barnabas was led astray because of you. Another way of putting this is, Peter, you're drawing lines. You might not think you are, but by eating with the people who are like you and not, you know, leaving the people who are not like you on the side, and everybody's deciding to do what you're doing, you're drawing a line. You're telling them to take sides. If you look like me, act like me, eat like me, live life and practice religion like me, you're at this table. Everybody else, you're out there. So, 
Diagram, I promise you diagrams. So this is Peter, the blue dot right there. And you know they're all mixed around him. When he started eating with one side, all the people from one side that were Jews end up in this circle, everybody else was out. Every Jew in that church were in the circle. Every Gentile was outside the circle, bounded set. So the question that Paul is trying to address here is this. How should Paul reserve this issue? So Baker, Dr. Baker, he gets into this and says, wait a minute, let's look at how Paul addresses this. If Paul is a bounded set kind of person, he would give him a diff- one kind of response. If he's a fuzzy set kind of person, he'll give another kind of response, right? So let's see how Paul answers this question. If Paul practiced a bounded approach, he likely would have entered into a discussion about the right rules. Peter, when you went over here, you missed up the whole church. Here are some new rules to live by. Or not only that, he might even talk about the line itself, right? He would say, you know, maybe you drew the line in the wrong place. Like, this is a bounded thinking. Let's see, see what Dr. Baker says. He would not critique the action of drawing lines, because the line's not the problem if you're bounded, right? But argue about the content of the lines. So, like, Peter, instead of drawing lines between Jews and Gentiles, maybe you should just draw a line. Like, here, look at this diagram. Instead of drawing a line between Jews and Gentiles, maybe what you should do is, next slide, draw a line around everybody, because there's Christian and everybody else. But then you're like, oh, that solves the problem. Yeah, temporarily, but think about this. Next slide. There are people who are outside the church. You have just drawn a line between the church and the, wor- and the world. It's like, so, so Baker's like, do you notice the way that Paul responds to these people? It's not by saying, redraw the line somewhere else, right? Let's keep reading what he says. He probably would pressure Peter through shaming words and accusing looks as the visitors from Jerusalem had done and, and, accept, uh, and accept to communicate the opposite, that to be true Christians, Peter needed to eat with the Gentiles. If Paul was a bounded set guy, he would have told Peter, like, you're not a true Christian because a Christian would act a certain way. What is he doing? He's drawing lines. So Paul isn't telling Peter, this isn't what a Christian would do. Because by using that kind of language, he's actually drawing lines, right? So Dr. Baker says Paul is not advocating a bounded version of Christianity. Is he advocating a fuzzy set? Is he saying just erase the lines and everything's going to be okay? Well, let's see what he says about that. If Paul practiced a fuzzy approach, he likely would not have said anything to Peter. Because what right does Paul have to say how church ought to be run, right? He continues. He might disagree with Peter's action and would likely be upset at Peter's bounded actions and how they impacted the Galatian Christians. Like he might have been, he might have been unhappy with what he did. Next slide. Yet in a fuzzy church paradigm, he would have no basis on which to confront Peter and of course would not want to risk making Peter feel bad. He's like, so this isn't, the fact that Paul is trying to address this with Peter shows that he's not a fuzzy guy either. Okay. If he was a fuzzy set mindset kind of person, Paul would have no grounds to approach Peter here. So what does Paul say? This is what Paul says. This is very important. He says to Peter, when I saw they, talking about Peter, when I saw that Peter and those guys were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. Let me break this down. When he says that, he, oh, go back. Um, that they were not acting in line. This is the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Okay, this is the word orthopodeo. Ortho means right. Podeo means f- walk. 
He's saying, if you, like when I looked at Peter, I noticed that his walk did not resemble Jesus' walk. He didn't look, smell, hear, sound like Jesus at all. Because when Jesus acts, he brings people together. When Peter acted, it was separating the church, right? And he says, this is like the truth of the gospel. He's not talking about the right gospel message here. He's talking about the result of the outcome of the gospel. He's basically saying that the fruit, next slide, sorry. The fruit does not reflect Jesus and his values. When I see Peter doing what he's doing, I don't see Jesus in any of that. It does not represent the character of Jesus at all. So what does Paul say to set Peter straight? Let's look. I said to Peter, Cephas, in front of them all, you are a Jew. Like you grew up as a Jewish boy, right? Yet you live like a Gentile. And that's a good thing. He's like, Jewish people hang out with only Jews. After Jesus was done with you, you were hanging out with the people who weren't like you. You were like living like a Gentile and not a Jew. Like you're a unique person, Peter. Like you were here and you ask yourself, what does love require of me? And you realize what love requires of me is to step out of my Jewishness and eat with the people who are not like me. Right? And so Paul asks him a really tough question. So how is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So let me reiterate this. This is very important. Peter, as a Jew, stepped out of his Jewishness to invite and welcome and be one of the people who were not Jewish. But then because of these guys, he moved back. And he said, now what you're doing by eating here, what you're doing is you're requiring them to enter into your circle, but you can't just walk over into your circle. You have to perform a certain amount of things in order to join here. For example, Gentiles, if you want to join the circle, all you guys have to get circumcised. You all have to start following the 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. You all have to start dressing the way that we dress. You have to eat the way we do. Stop eating pork because you can't do that in this circle. And he says, that is not love. You stepping out of that tradition and joining them, that is love. Asking them to jump through hoops so they could join you is not love. And then he says this. This is important. We know, we as in the apostles, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. People when they want to join the church, when people want to join the, the, the movement of Jesus, you don't do that by following a bunch of rules. He's saying, in the old temple model, you had to do certain things to qualify to be a part of the God movement. Now, we know that the laws don't matter anymore, right? But it's by faith in Jesus Christ. The way that you start following God now is by facing Jesus and having a relationship with him. You don't have to follow a bunch of rules. You don't have to change your lifestyle. You have to do any of that to join the movement of God. All you have to do is say, I want to follow Jesus, and now you're in. But Peter, what you're doing by eating with the Jewish group is making them do all the things that they'll need to do in order to join the group. So stop doing it. You're ruining the church. So this is where I introduce to you the Centerset Church. This is what Paul is pushing for. It is not a bounded or a fuzzy set because bounded and fuzzy set presupposes that you're working with a marker to draw lines. In the center set church, there's no lines at all. Instead, there is a center. And the center is Jesus. 
By the way, this is a model that Lori and I learned, you know, Lori and I learned about 10 years ago, and we've been dying to talk about this for the past 10 years. We learned about this while we were getting ordained uh, into the Free Methodist Church, and the teacher, the professor, was telling us about, like, yeah, there's this thing called Center of Church, and we were hooked on this thing, and he didn't talk about it after that, so we looked into it more, and this is what we discovered. Okay, Center of Church, okay, there is a center now, okay, and the people who are interested in Jesus, next slide, will face Jesus, and the people who aren't interested will face away from Jesus. That's your choice, okay? And the people who are pointing towards Jesus, next slide, are the ones who are in, right? And the people who aren't interested are the people who are out. Meaning, if you come to church because you're like, I wonder what that church is about, you're in. If you're like, I don't see myself going to church, that's okay. You don't have to be in. But the day you decide, I want to check out that church, you're in. Now, if you look at this diagram, you'll notice that some people are further away and some people are closer. Some people have been on this journey for a lot longer. Some people, they're just starting today. Both of you are welcome. Some people come from a different background. I come from a place where I was hurt by religion. And like, no, I come from a place where I was raised in my own religion, right? And you're both welcome. Hey, I, my version of Christianity is slightly different. You know, I think that it's okay to be a certain way. Another person says, I think that Christians all ought to be a certain way. It's like, well, that sounds bounded, but if you're interested in Jesus, you're welcome. Worship with us. There's always room at the table for people like you. Who's people like you? If you're even curious about Jesus, that's you. Paul continues. So we, talking about the apostles and the Jews, too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. Faith in Christ is super Christianese, right? Faith in Christ basically means you want to have a relationship with Christ. By faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, the very nature of Christianity is relational, not line. It's not bounded. It's all about, it's not about doing things. It's about being in relationship with the one. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul says, if you were to draw lines, eventually no one will belong inside those lines. If you want to sit at the Jewish table, you have to be able to follow the laws. By the way, of the people who are sitting there, how many of you guys have actually followed every single law in the Old Testament? They're like, no, no, I didn't. I just lied, so that's, that's there it is right there, right? Like, look, when you start drawing lines, eventually there will be nobody in those lines. Christianity is all about relationship. It's not about who's in and who's out. It's about, are you interested in a relationship? If the answer is yes, you're in. So, Center said Church. Inclusion is based on the orientation of the hearts of the individuals on a common center. In this case, it's Jesus. So, if you're into the sports analogy again, here we go. Baseball, the Center said Church. Center said Church is like this. We're in baseball. If I came up here and said, guys, today at 10 o'clock at the park down the street, we're going to have a baseball day. And some of you would be like, I love baseball. Some of you might say, I don't know how to play baseball, but I know I could watch baseball. I'm curious. You're all welcome to come. If you're not interested in baseball, you don't have to come. That's okay. We don't judge you, right? That's wherever you are in your life. If you're into baseball, come on. If not, that's okay. Um, I have a five-year-old who wants to play. Bring him over. Oh, um, you know, I, I just, I don't know, how, I don't like to play baseball, but I like to be the ump. You're welcome to come too. Um, I don't know how to play, but I love cheering for teams at the stand. Welcome. Just come and hang out and eat the hot dogs. You know, I don't care, right? But whoever's interested, 
You don't have to pay a fee. There's no tryouts. You're welcome to join us. Oh, but I want to come and play soccer. Sorry, that's not what we're doing at 10 o'clock at that field. But I'm sure there are other churches that might want to play soccer. You could join that church. But for our church, we're playing baseball at 10 o'clock. If you can make it, we would love for you to join us. That's what the center set church is. Because we are not having any lines, but we still have an identity because our identity is set based on what it's at the center, which is Jesus, or in that illustration, baseball. (laughs) Our identity is baseball. That's kind of weird. Okay, so center set church. Let's go over this. Belonging is dependent on a relationship to the center. And here's the thing. Unity without without uniformity. You don't have to be like everybody else in order to belong in the church. You might come from a very conservative background. Welcome to our church. You might come from a very liberal background. You might have voted for one person, another person voted for another person. You're both welcome. And you're thinking like, wait a minute, doesn't this make church like really messy? Yes. It's extremely messy. We might even have some fights break out. But whenever that happens, we focus on the center, we break the bread, we drink the wine, and we say, look, Jesus wants us to be unified despite our differences. If you want to see that in action, just look at the 12 disciples. We have people who fought in insurrections, and we have people who are betrayers, tax collectors, but we also have people who are studious types. We have fishermen who are poor. We have like all the things, and they should not hang, they should not work. This whole discipleship should not work, but Jesus made it work because they were all focused on Jesus. In the coming weeks, we will talk about how to deal with disagreements. We will, right? But the key feature here, I think, is the bottom one right here, which is no one has arrived. In the bounded set, once you're past that line and you're on the inside, you have arrived. So you have the right to look down on the people outside the line saying, ha ha, I made it, but you didn't, ha ha ha, right? There's judgment that happens. But in the center set model, look at the diagram again, no one has arrived. Everybody's on a journey, right? Some people might be further away, but, and by the way, this diagram doesn't do it justice. It just demonstrates that it's centered. But there's a lot of things that's not represented in this diagram. For example, what happens when the uh, arrows clash, right? Like my version of Christianity might not be compatible with yours. Clash. Or the fact that we understand that Jesus doesn't just sit in the middle. He meets us where we are. So this diagram doesn't do it justice. I know I'm talking really fast and really, I get excited about this. Okay. No one has arrived. We are all on a journey. Somebody might be further along in one aspect of their faith but might be behind some in some aspects. And that person might be ahead in that aspect of their faith, but behind in other parts. We're all here to help each other out. We're all here to learn from each other. We're all here to grieve with one another, celebrate with one another, and talk about Jesus and how he's working our lives together. It's all a progress. So what does this mean? It means this. Race, religiosity, culture, tradition, wealth, and other social boundaries that we use to draw lines, they no longer apply. They no longer apply. There's no place to draw lines anymore. You can't draw lines based off of how the world draws lines anymore. Now, like I said, bounded set is not a bad thing for other things. Costco membership, bounded lines, I love Costco, okay? I have a membership card, I have an ugly picture on it, right? That's, you know, lines work for certain things, but in the church, Jesus never meant there to be lines. He meant it to be a centered set. So in closing, I just want to tell you this little story here. Um, This is a story that I learned from my professor who got it from another guy, so I'm sure it's a true story. Um, So in Australia, there's like a lot of open land, right? And in the Australian outbacks, 
there's a lot of sheep and there's shepherds that oversee them. And because the land is so big, they're like, how do we keep the sheep in one place? How do we keep them from going astray? And so out of the sake of protection and out of the sake of keeping the sheep unified, the shepherds started building fences to make sure that they don't leave. And so a lot of shepherds did that and they you know, draw a peg in and then they do another one. They put barbed wire between them and make sure that you know, they're protected also, right? And it eventually got really costly. They're like, how are we supposed to afford this? Because our land is so big, we need more fence. And uh, eventually they came across this one shepherd who had no fence, but all the sheep were together. And they said, well, what's the secret? Like, you didn't spend any money on, on fences. Like, well, how did you do this? And he said, well, I did spend some money, but not on fences. Well, what did you do? Well, I spent the money on digging deep, deep wells. So the sheep would want to stay around where the source of life is. He says, I'm in the business of digging deep wells, not building walls, not drawing lines. And I believe that Westlight, we are in the business of digging deep wells. Our job is to shine light on Jesus. And whatever we do outside the four walls of this church, we're just reflecting the light that Jesus shined on us. If Jesus is welcoming, we're going to be welcoming. If Jesus didn't draw lines, we're not going to draw lines. If, we're, if Jesus is all about relationships, then we're going to be about relationships. And through those means, we're going to dig, dig deep, deep wells. And because of that, we're all going to be faced towards the center who is Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray.